Songland, you will definitely recognize J.T. Roach from the episode with One Republic when Ryan Tedder kind of moved over, moved from one of the producer hosts of the show to the guy picking the record that he wants to perform and put out. So J.T. Roach was on the episode with One Republic and his song ended up winning. It's a track called Someone to Love. So J.T. Roach kind of goes through the process of getting on the show and how he got into music. We start obviously where he was born and raised in Wisconsin, talks about how he got into music, got into guitar lessons in fourth grade, but kind of was touch and go with the guitar up until he had an injury in high school. He was a high school athlete, and when he had that injury, he really started to focus on playing guitar and learning songs. It wasn't until after college when he had a job in video production that he decided, you know what, I love doing music. This is what I want to do full time. And he has an incredible story about moving to Los Angeles, living in a hallway, eventually getting on Songland, signing a contract with BMG. And he tells us all about this new record he has coming out as well. You can watch our interview with JT Roach on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be incredible if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with JT Roach. My name's Adam, and this is all about you. Our podcast is about your journey in music and uh, how you got to where you are now. Amazing. Cool, cool. Um, well, let's first uh, find out where were you born and raised? I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin, right on. Yeah. What was it like growing oh, you up there? Gotcha. <laughs> a lot of yeah, cheese I, I, oh yeah lots of lots of cheese lots of packers and badgers and there you um, go you know all, all the good wisconsin things what it what, what was like a was it like there was there a lot of music or what was the scene like um yeah there's a solid music scene um in madison and milwaukee and just around the state um you know i guess most notably to me um, Justin Vernon of Boney Bears from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. which I, I've been to Eau Claire, but I'm, you know, that's further north. But um, he's been a huge um, role model and I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. Yeah, he's an amazing, amazing artist. That's awesome. I know Carly Hansen is from there. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Carly Hansen is? No way. I didn't realize from Wisconsin. That. I don't know exactly what part. I can't remember. I've had her on the show a couple of times, but I, I can't recall off the top of my head where about, but oh, she's from awesome. Wisco as well. That's awesome. I, I didn't realize that. She's amazing. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Incredible artist. She was actually the first podcast episode we ever published, and we've had her on a couple of times. She's great. Oh, no way. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, but cool. cool. So Wisconsin, like, uh, how'd you get into music? Tell me about that. Oh, man, I've, I've just loved music my whole life. I was definitely in one of those families that just um, embraced music. My dad always had, like, a big collection of music. Um, you know, grew up hearing music at church and Lots of like Beatles and Beach Boys and like 90s alts like Oasis and Counting Crows and Dave Matthews and all that stuff growing up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe fourth grade started taking guitar lessons, uh, had a, a knee injury in high school and started playing guitar more. And then, you know, college and post-college was a lot of like cover songs for YouTube and starting to write my own stuff. So that's how I got kind of kind of got started. Were you in sports or something prior like? When in high school? Yeah, I played basketball and football, and I was just always, 
I always loved sports growing up. I didn't play in college or obviously not professionally or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I just sports was my thing growing up. And I, I figured out later than a lot of people that, that music was my thing, you know, and now sure. I'm like, oh, I was a music guy this whole time, you know. <laughs> but the, the knee injury kind of gave you a little nudge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I couldn't play basketball, which was, you know, I, I, I tore my lateral meniscus in my right knee and oh, I had to sit out like half of a season. Um, and I was just kind of stuck in my parents' basement with a guitar. And th- that's so I picked it up and, you know, fell in love with it and have been in love with it ever since. That's incredible. Uh, fourth grade, you said fourth grade, you took lessons, though. Was that guitar the first instrument you learned? Or were you in piano yeah, as a I'm, young kid or anything like that? I think technically the first instrument, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess guitar was the first that I learned in maybe fourth grade. And then I took saxophone in okay. in school and got good enough to play the Forrest Gump theme and then quit saxophone. and just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Just went for that. Why, why Forrest Gump? I'm just a huge fan of the film. And- I think it was like just a simple enough song to play that it was like, it, it, you know, um, I think it was in fifth or sixth grade at my grade school everybody had to just pick an instrument and and learn it Uh for you know music class and i chose saxophone and you know that was this that was the song that i liked that i learned and then i was like okay i think i'm done with this i'm gonna go back (laughs) to playing guitar (laughs) (laughs) so you didn't take sax in like uh middle school or high school at all no, not really. Dropped I, it, I, I, dropped honestly, it after Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, haven't touched one since I learned a, a terrible rendition of the Forrest Gump theme. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. When did so you said you? I mean, you really got a nudge in guitar when you hurt your knee. Um, was that when you started trying to learn like cover songs, or like between the gap between fourth grade and and then were you playing at all, or is it kind of just like come and go as you? Kind of a little bit, you know, just like learning a little bit here and there. Um, I remember the first song that I learned in my lesson was Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey. That's an um, interesting it was, one. <laughs> it was, it, I mean, it's still one of my favorite songs, but like such a ridiculous song to choose for your first guitar song. Right. It's basically, it's basically just a lick at the beginning of the song that I loved. Um, but that, I mean, that does show kind of what my journey with music has been in that it just, if there's something that I like, I want to figure out what I like about it and then try it. And I've kind of sort of taught myself in that way. I, I didn't go to school for music and I didn't um, have a lot of, you know, I, I took, I guess, piano lessons in high school too, but everything else has been like YouTube and just trying stuff and figuring it out. Well, I mean, man, you've accomplished quite a bit <laughs> just going that route. I mean, that's incredible. Did you, yeah, I'm, I'm Greg, sorry, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, you said you were doing covers and putting them up on YouTube. Like, how old were you when you were doing that? That was in college. So the okay. first one I did was Lollipop by Lil Wayne. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. like, a ter- like, I discovered Auto-Tune in GarageBand and just did a terrible Lollipop cover. But my friends liked it. And it, you know, it obviously it sounded in tune and was was fun. So I just fell in love with doing covers. And I think that's how I learned Um you know, song structure and what it feels like to play a, a cool song. And, you know, I, that kind of turned into, I want to start writing some and, you know, um, did a YouTube channel to cover Drake and Miguel and, um, you know, like some country songs. I was kind of all over the place mm-hmm. with the genres that I did. Um, and I, I, I still feel like I'm discovering myself in that way, but, um, 
you know, I, I loved doing that. And, um, you know, I was always the guy who would just play cover songs at bonfires or at parties or anything like that. I was just always looking for an excuse to have a jam session for a sing along and that kind of thing. Did you ever play with bands or was it mainly just you playing guitar and, and just doing a lot of covers? I've played, I've played with bands. I'm lucky enough that I've, I've had a band in LA that I've played with on and off. I, I had bands that I played with in Wisconsin. I would say I haven't played with bands as much as some other artists. You know, I do a lot more acoustic shows and, um, um, you know, I do electronic shows now too. So, um, I've played with bands less than I will, I would like to have, I have less experience playing with bands than I wish that I had at this point, but, um, I'm writing a project now that is geared towards that. Um, so, you know, cool. hopefully we can make that happen. Yeah. It wasn't like, but you weren't like in a band, like in college, like a college. No. Band, it was more just, no, like not really. Thing. Honestly, honestly, more than bands. I, I had kind of an interest, interesting trajectory because I was part of more a part of the hip hop scene in Madison, Wisconsin, than I was a part of the singer songwriter scene. Cause I loved, writing um like r&b hip-hop music mm -hmm. um and so i was in with that crowd and i would always be you know the guy who was part of a set of hip-hop artists that were um on throughout the course of an event or a concert and i was the guy who would come out and play like acoustic covers or play just like bust out a guitar after everybody had been rapping all night and that was kind of my thing early on that's cool when did you start writing songs um I wrote my first song my senior year of high school. It was terrible, but it was a song. Mm -hmm. um, and then I wrote a lot more terrible music after that. Um, and it gradually got better. <laughs> I, put, I put out like, like some albums and, you know, I put out a lot of music um, in like college and right after college. Um, but I ended up taking it all down once I like felt like I found my voice after moving out to L.A. So okay. um, that stuff is just collecting dust on a hard drive now. <laughs> Um, what'd you go to school for? If you didn't go for, for music, did you go for video editing? I read that you worked for the onion. Yeah. So, um, I went to university of Wisconsin, Madison, and I studied history and com arts. Um, I didn't get my oh, okay. major in com arts. So I got a major in history. I just wanted to get a, a bachelor's and graduate in four because I, I, I felt pretty confident I was going to work in video or music or some combination of the two. My, dad runs a video production company out of Madison, Wisconsin. And I was, already oh, rad. Working there. I was already working there in college. And, um, I ended up working there for a couple years after college and then moved to Chicago. And yeah, I worked at Comcast Sportsnet and the onion in Chicago, which was really fun. That's uh, cool. I just love Chicago. Yeah. But I, you know, and those wasn't the onion yeah. started by some guys from Wisconsin. Any like that went to, I think they, yeah, yeah I believe so. I, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's, I think it started in Madison as like a free newspaper. Yeah, um, I believe, I believe it did. And then it kind of moved, like moved to New York. It got big. I mean, obviously real quick, but right. I think it started in Wisconsin. Right. I, that sounds right. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Okay. Um, I didn't know if you had, like, it was a tie. So you wanted to work there due to that fact, but I guess not. No, no, <laughs> I, um, no, I just, I just loved the onion and they had, you know, they had been a newspaper for so long and right around the era when I was in Chicago was when they were like a year or two fresh with doing hilarious video content for their website. Uh -huh. And so I was an assistant video editor. I was assisting the editors, um, mostly just backing up footage from shoots. And like, I wasn't writing hilarious uh, headlines or anything like that. I was just kind of a production assistant, but it was, 
it was a hilarious job in that it was in a very intense work environment, but you're also, you know, having an intense work process over the funniest, the Mm -hmm. funniest pieces that you'll ever. Yeah. What a cool environment to be in. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's like working. Yeah. I could imagine just working for something as like as hilarious as the onion would be pretty, that'd be pretty cool. Um, so were you writing music all while you were working there and like, how did the music, kind of overtake the video production i was so i um i was working at the onion doing a free unpaid internship there and then i was working a paid gig at comcast sportsnet and the hours were kind of like 3 p.m to like 1 a.m at comcast and it was and it was like four days a week and then onion was like two days a week and um I was doing music largely really late at night or early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And um, that was what I looked forward to in my days. And I wasn't spending as much time on it as I wanted to. And I ended up reading this book called The War of Art. I always mm-hmm. screw it up. It's The War of Art or The War on Art. I think it's The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thesis of that book is like, if you want, if you have a passion for something, you, you only live once you should do it. And two, it's like, if you want to be treated as a professional, you have to treat yourself as a professional first to get good enough to be treated as a professional by other people. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. Like, Oh, I, I need to start taking this seriously if I want to make music for my job. Cause nobody's going to hand that to me. You mm-hmm. know? So did you move so, to Los Angeles like, after reading that where you're like, okay, like obviously music is what I'm really, really passionate about. I need to get to Los yeah. Angeles or where it's, where it's happening. And what, why'd you choose LA over like New York or Nashville? Or... Yeah. I, I, I quit my job that week. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I quit my job that week after reading the book. Cause I just knew I saw so clearly what I needed to do. And I was also just not happy with my job there. I, I knew it wasn't where I was supposed to be. Um, so I moved home for six months to save up money. Um, I had, a few friends who were already out in LA, um, my friend Quincy, my friend Nathan, um, and I became friends with this guy, Steven Swartz, who had a big hit called Bullet Train at the time. He had, now has an artist project called Steven. Um, and he, he's one of my closest friends. All three of them are some of my closest friends. Um, but they were living uh, in the Hollywood Towers, actually, what the Tower of Terror is based on. Oh, rad. <laughs> the Hollywood Towers. And I came out to visit and I was like, okay, I got to be out here. This is amazing. Okay. And um Drove out, 30-hour drive, no no plan whatsoever as to how to make it a career. And I've just, you know, made it work. Did six months, um, ran out of money, moved in with them and couch surfed. They surprised me by turning a hallway into a bedroom with like a little twin mattress. And I lived <laughs> on a mat. I lived on a mattress in a hallway for two and a half years and wrote demos out of a walk-in closet. Oh so my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. That's wow. Talk about passion. You weren't, you weren't kidding, huh? Like quit your yeah, job. Like you went to like from, you know, something stable to like, now you're living in a, you know, hallway. Totally. Yeah. And it's exactly what it sounds like. I like, we had like a curtain up, but yeah, I was living in a hallway for like two and a half years and it was, it was, a, it was a nice like three bedroom house. So it's, you know, in ways I wasn't roughing it, but in other ways it like psychologically not having your own space and like, um, you know, just feeling like you don't have a home for that long of a time 
it, it's difficult psychologically. Um, but um, that was such a special era too, because Steven Swartz was living in the house. Coda was living in the house. Nathan who managed Cruella and Steven was in the house and my friend Quincy was in the house and they're all super special artists. And we were all growing together and learning from each other. So it was like a weird artistic incubation period that I'm so grateful for. And it was so much fun. What was the, what would you say like the first little victory was or what kind of got you to the next level in your career? I think the, the most, the, the moment where I was like, Oh, okay. I think, I think I'm getting somewhere was when I wrote tipsy love, which was my first single release for my artist project. Cause it, mm-hmm. I remember playing that demo. I mean, I had been writing so many demos and was so desperate to write something that anyone was excited about. Um, and I wrote that song and pretty much everyone I played that demo for was like, this is amazing. You need to write more like this. And, and really what it was, it was, I had found my sound and my style, you know, and, and the um, limitations that made something sound like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a lot of digging to figure that out, but that's that, I really do feel like that was a gateway song that kind of led to so much other music for me. So mm-hmm. um, that was a, a huge moment for me, for sure. With that song, did, what led you to getting the BMG deal? Was it pretty soon after that or? or? Um, so after I wrote that song, that was maybe six months or so in. Uh, actually, I, I had written that when I was when I first moved to L.A. And when I moved in with the guys and um, uh, and I was living in the hallway, I played them that demo and, and I ended up writing a, a bunch more songs in that style, which was basically just stripped acoustic songs. Um, uh, you know, a less is more type production. I had been doing, you know, hip hop and R&B and like overproducing my demos up until that point. And it really became about stripping things to guitar and vocal and just focusing on great songs. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that's what I did. I just wrote a ton of demos on guitar, super stripped and just tried to write the best songs that I could. And the demos that came out of that era, um, the best ones, put, put them on a private SoundCloud sent them around to in- industry connects, got connected with my manager at the time, Jack Minahan, who's a great guy. And he kind of took me to the rounds to the publishers and ended up, ended up getting an offer from BMG and signing with um, Jeremiah Thomas there, who's now at Island Records, who's, mm-hmm. who's a homie and an amazing guy as well. That's awesome. I did hear, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like labels and um, uh, like publishing companies, like for anyone listening that like wants to get into that, that industry don't you have to really submit songs that aren't released like you wouldn't put those out on like i don't know i don't i'm not sure about this but you wouldn't throw those songs up on like spotify right and then try to pitch those around it would be more like you wouldn't put the songs out like does that make sense uh yeah like should you send label songs that you have out already right yeah 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 i think i think i mean a, a, a big label can kind of throw gasoline on a fire so if you're a Lil Nas X and you just wrote a song called, called um, Old Town Road and it's starting to blow up and they look at your numbers and they see it's blowing up. Yeah, then you might get signed that way. Even sure. If, even if you put your song out. I would say that's a rare case, like a song going viral that that can happen. But I would say more often than not, the way to do it is figure out your sound and figure out how you sound different by writing a lot and get those really special records together. And when you feel confident that you have a special, it, even just like a handful of demos that are really special that show where you're headed, uh-huh. then, then the right people will kind of find you. You can, 
you know, what I did was put it on private playlist, Mm -hmm. send that to any, anyone and everyone that, you know, in the industry until, until somebody catches wind of it, who can help you get connected properly. Um, which is what happened to me. But if I had, if I had sent Jack Minahan, um, my demos a year before I had figured out what my sound and my thing was, he probably would have passed because those demos weren't, weren't strong until I figured out what my style was, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people aren't as ready as they think they are, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. to, to have that moment happen. And really when you, when you have your sound and you have something special that stands out, the right people will find you because they see the value in it, you know? Mm -hmm. I was just curious because you said you had it on a private SoundCloud account and somebody else's. And when I've interviewed, I forgot who it was off the top of my head, but they they mentioned that too. like people. You're better off sending stuff that isn't out. I mean, obviously, I've, I've chatted with a lot of people that have had that viral success or had right. a song on TikTok that just blows up and or a song on Spotify that gets playlisted. Then it's like, you know, all the labels are like, hey, you know, what's going on? Because you've already <laughs> have achieved something there. But if you're trying to sell yourself to these to, you know, BMG or, or, you know, Warner Chapel or whoever you just hearing that you had it on a private SoundCloud account is just, is interesting to me. It wasn't like yeah, you had them out on and, Spotify and you're like, here's my Spotify link. And that was, a, that was a, um, the deal that I got to clarify was a publishing deal and not a record uh-huh. deal. Sure. Because several of the songs were great pitch records, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not, if you're pitching records to top 40 artists to place records as a songwriter, they have to be on release, or at least that's the idea. Um, right. You know, so if you're trying to get a publishing deal, that's the route to go is to send records that are unreleased and that they can pitch to artists. Other and, artists. Um, but if you're looking for a record deal, um, I, I still think that's pretty true is, is um, you know, sending records that are unreleased because they'll want to be a part of the rollout more often than not. But I also think it's okay to to release records that you love and build your fan base and, you know, establish your brand and your socials and, you know, start cultivating your community and the culture of what your project is about. I think it's good to show people, Hey, I, I, I've got momentum on this already. Mm -hmm. You know, all you have to do is throw gasoline on this fire that I've created as opposed to like, you know, want to invest hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in this project that, nobody's heard except you you know it, <laughs> right, it, it right. does happen if like great ARs have great ears and they'll mm-hmm. hear they'll hear something and know it's special but um if that's not that's i would say that's more rare sure sure that's interesting um I'm, well speaking of pitching songs i know you you made it onto songland and you you yeah. won you had you know a, a one republic record like which is amazing like how many how far down the line was that like were you had you pitched a bunch of songs i know you had some success and and had gotten people to pick up your record prior to to that show correct right i i would say songland was like an amazing boost at a time when when i at a time when i needed one it was just an amazing experience um you know one story i love to tell is that when i was living in that hallway in in that artist commune house Mm -hmm. um one of uh, my mentors at the time said, you know, I think your song structure could be better. You should, um, you know, pick a song to dissect and learn the song structure of. And I chose Counting Stars by One Republic. Interesting. And so what in that era, when I was living in a hallway, I was literally in this closet where I was writing all these demos, 
cutting up counting stars and just like marveling at what an amazing pop production and lyric and top line it is and trying to figure out why it's so great and then cut to you know three four years later i'm pitching a record to ryan tedder and one republic and they pick it for their album which is crazy that's insane i know i was looking at it just like on youtube numbers like 18 million plays on just like the lyric video and stuff like i mean that's so cool to have that kind of recognition for something you wrote i mean wow yeah i'm 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 so grateful for that whole experience definitely one of those holy shit surreal like (laughs) once in a lifetime things that i mean i got lucky you know it was the right record for them and you know it all went smoothly and i'm i I co-wrote that song i want to shout out kevin fisher jinte and andrew wells those were the guys who i wrote the original demo with um kevin fisher is an amazing writer and jim and andrew are as well and are amazing producers so um you know, shout out to them because that song wouldn't be what it is without them too. That's cool. I want to get, I'll get to that one. I'll, Cause I have a couple more questions about that, but I want to, I'm curious to know what was the first uh, record that you had, you know, picked up by someone and what was that experience like? I mean, that must've been a big moment for you. Actually, it was very, very early on um, oh. in that, in that era when I was writing hip hop, um, and just putting out albums in college. Okay. Um, I, I wrote a song called Bad Boy, which was just like hip hop drums and some chorus about I'm a bad boy. I do bad things. It was like, you know, <laughs> just totally not my brand now, but it was a good chorus. Right. It had a cool like hip hop drum pattern and like bass movement and everything. And actually Beanie Siegel, who's a famous rapper who like mm-hmm. came up with Jay-Z, um, took that chorus and had somebody reproduce it and i'm so i was on a beanie siegel record in like the early 2000s um, that's crazy yeah so that was that was my first like placement um and then i didn't get another one for like four years or something like that but um you know er, er, early on i think my some of my first placements were with cruella um okay my roommate nathan Lim was managing them at the time and i i got to be friends with them so i, I wrote with them a lot early on and we wrote um, Broken Record together. Um, if you hear that post-chorus and that drop with the like distorted vocal, that's my voice on that one. Really? Um, yeah. So that was that was an exciting thing because I was I was a Cruella fan and they were, mm-hmm. you know, electronic music stars and they still sure. are. Um, yeah, they're huge. Totally. That's cool. I didn't realize, too, that sometimes when you get a cut like that, they use, you know, you as a like a voice on the record or get to play on the record at all? Or is that kind of rare? Um, it does. Yeah, it does happen. Um, you know, it's a case by case thing. I think more and more now that my project's getting more established, I do, you know, try to have my voice be mostly on my stuff, but, um, you know, I, I work with this guy, Jake Miller and our voices kind of have a similar timbre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I, like I, he'll use my background vocals or post-chorus vocals and, if they're a great take and the magic is there, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out so he can just use those. And like most people can't tell the difference if it's the two, two voices that sound similar. So, sure. um, so yeah. And then on, on the Cruella one, I just was, I was singing in the room with them. Um, what I heard for the post chorus on broken record, they're like, get in the booth. And then we <laughs> stored it and pitched it down and, you know, it, and it sounds crazy now. Um, but that's kind of how I work. You know, I, I, hear melodies and i'll i'll record in the melodies just as gibberish what i'm hearing and a lot of times the gibberish 
vocal is the cool thing that you just kind of distort and mm -hmm. and manipulate the audio until it sounds unique and um you know it, it becomes an instrument in that way sure that's really cool what when you got the show going back to songline real quick like uh what was it like yeah. hearing that you're on that you know going to get that chance to to perform and did you know it was going to be with one republic when you got you know picked i did i i, I didn't um I, I didn't know but when i ended up on the one republic episode i was i was so pumped i mean that was like that was that was what i was really hoping to be on i was really hoping to get to pitch to them because when i was sending my records uh you got to send two records in i think at the time for uh -huh. the show and I, my hope was to end up getting to pitch to ryan and one republic um, that's cool yeah like that full I mean, circle, I, circle moment that you talked about you know breaking down that totally. song and that's so cool and then jason yeah. evigan was the, the the kind of replaced uh ryan tedder on the on the show at that point and I, I, he's a great guy. I had a chance to interview him and his wife for his project, Elephant Heart. I've, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, love Jason and love Elephant Heart. So sick. So cool. Yeah. So I got a chance to chat with them. And then I rewatched your episode because I was like, I got to remember, you know, I saw that you're you're on it with One Republican. I'm like, OK, I want to go refresh and, and watch it because my wife and I would watch it on all the time with our kids and Hulu right. and stuff. We'd watch it on Hulu. And I went back and I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot that Jason was on this this episode, too. So that was like so cool. And then to, you know, you, you get the song cut like that's so cool. Yeah, it was definitely uh, one of the coolest things that's ever happened. <laughs> um, Jason's such a good guy. And I, I'm such a huge fan of his work. Like he's just a monster producer. And oh, yeah, super, super sweet guy. Like he couldn't be a sweeter guy. So, um, you know, getting to. um him being on the episode that I was on was super fun. And um, yeah, just. It was just, like an added bonus. Cause not only yeah, Ryan totally. Tedder is usually on there, you know, obviously yeah. and it was cool how they did that. They kind of moved him to the other chair and then gave and then let another person in to kind of help. Cause it really wouldn't be fair if he got to choose. He's like, I'm going to pick you as my, you know, person I'm right. going to mentor. So it'd be like pretty obvious right. that that's the song you would want to win. But right. um that's cool. Like, was it nerve wracking playing, you know, up there to oh, them? Bro. So nerve, so nerve wracking. <laughs> I was, I was nervous pretty much as soon as I committed to going on the episode and like going through the whole thing. I, I was nervous from that until, um, until I got to the dressing room after the final episode, the final shoot. Um, I, I, I was, I was nervous about crying on camera. I was nervous about saying something stupid. Um, you know, you're just, or just screwing up my lyrics or singing terribly or like whatever. I was, I got up every morning at 4 a.m. to practice and do vocal warm ups in my car. And like, I was so nervous, but I used my nerves to prepare. Um, you know, I put it all into just like repeating the lyrics, doing vocal warm ups. Like, you know, um, I was watching. Uh, um you know shows with people who do great interviews before the show too um just to like try to absorb being able to interview well on my toes because you know you're doing a lot of interviews and it's it's just a lot it moves super quickly and it's a huge production i'd never been a part of anything like that so it it was super overwhelming for sure oh yeah i can't even imagine i mean and yeah. then like you said they're they're gonna air whatever they think is going to be the best suit for whatever narrative they want to tell. So it's like, if you say something that you're like, Oh man, why'd I say that they might use that and be like, Oh, so, you know, 
It's not yeah, like totally. you can go, hey, can you not use that take? Like, I feel dumb or whatever. The totally. producer is going to be like, we're definitely using that take. Yeah. Sorry, you, you sign the contracts. Whatever we, whatever you, we catch on camera. Right. On. <laughs> yeah, it's their job to put on a great show. So I'm, and, and I knew that going into it. So, but um, the, the thing is with Songland more so than, you know, historically some other shows, they're not there to roast the contestants. They're really there. Exactly. Promote, they're really there to give songwriters a boost. Like what they did for me, they're, it's about the songs and it's not about roasting any of the contestants, which, you know, I didn't totally know if that was the case because it was season one, mm-hmm. but um, that, that was the impression that I got and, and the show lived up to that. It really was about the songs and just trying to show people the magical moments in a writing session when a song goes from, what, what if we do this? This could be kind of cool. to whoa, that's like, that could be like a hit record, you know? Mm-hmm. And those moments do happen and getting to show people what that feels like is, is really cool. I totally agree with you. It's not like a reality show where they're like, okay, we want to show the worst part of, of, of JT right. right now. You know, it's like, they want to kind of right. like bring you along the ride with the, like the songwriting process and how they choose a hit and what makes a hit record. And it's really for totally. people that, you know, want to write songs or interested in that. So I think that totally. I totally agree with you. Um, well, from there, I'm sure that helped. You said it gave you a little boost. Did you have, were you releasing songs under, you know, JT Roach as your solo project at this point as well? Yeah, I had, I think I had been putting out music on that project for like a year and a half, maybe even two years, probably, probably mm-hmm. about a year and a half um, on that. Um, just as JT Roach, like my folk songs and all that. And actually before the show aired was my first um big electronic collaborations with uh potions with uh said the sky and slander which turned out to be a huge thing for my year as well mm-hmm. i don't think i understood quite how big of a deal for my career that was and but i it looking back that was a huge moment too because the the electronic music um lane that has opened up for me has been just so much fun with that were you able to when you say that it was a big moment were you able to get more cuts or just more eyes on you like what was the you know i think, I think more eyes on me and just um you know I, i've been able to collaborate with some big electronic artists and it's really helped me grow my fan base and i feel like um i'm doing this thing now where i can release or i am releasing singer songwriter folk kind of left of center stuff that i've always done but i'm also doing um, a lot of really exciting electronic music collaborations and potions was kind of the gateway to to doing all those um and to uh getting respect in that community as somebody who can write those kinds of records um, Mm -hmm. which i love writing so um it's been it's been interesting and it's been really exciting to be a part of that electronic community Mm -hmm. with like the going ahead to like the pandemic and when when that all happened did that how did that directly kind of affect you aside from, you know, being stuck inside and you can't see anybody and that, that, but I mean, like career wise, was that like a big blow to you or did it, you know, create more time and space for you to write or were you, you know, influenced? I know there's more questions here, but I'm just curious to where you were when that all happened and what, what, what was the result? <laughs> I know yeah, you've released some records over, obviously you have new songs out and, and you release songs over the course of 2020. Of course. Yeah, I think 
the the biggest way that it affected me because I I wasn't touring a lot at that point like a lot of music, uh, a lot of artists and bands uh-huh. um or DJs and I know a lot of my friends were hit hard by not being able to tour but um you know I've been a studio rat since I got out here and I'm always in the studio writing new music but I haven't been able to be um until the last like you know a couple months I hadn't been able to be in the studio with other people um doing in-person collaborations you know we've been doing collaborations on zoom and it's just not the same you know it's you can get it done but like it's tough to be being in a room with a couple other brilliant creatives who you can bounce ideas off of and just fly around with Uh and and it's, it's also inspiring to just be in a great new studio environment and for over a year like so many other people i've been working from home um in the same place in the same routine every day um, which I'm super grateful for. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have a, a studio and um, to be able to write and record and produce and um, pitch my own records that I'm writing by myself, which is what I've done. You know, I really, um, I took um, the change of the change up uh, to my life as an opportunity to focus on something different, which was electronic music. Um, and I'd write a lot of strip demos like I used to do. Um, and I pitched a lot of electronic records and I wrote, you know, as I'm finishing now, I'm finishing my own album that I wrote during the pandemic. Um, but I really wrote two albums because the first album's worth of stuff, I pitched all those records and, and those records are coming out with some big electronic artists over the next uh, few months here. Um, so, you know, that turned out to be a a good move. Um, Uh hopefully, I mean, it's, it's looking like it will be. Sure. When yeah. you when you're writing those songs over the course of you know the past year and year and a half, did you know what songs you wanted to pitch and which songs you were going to keep for your own project? Do, like, do you right. is it hard to shift to like your mindset, or do you know like this is going to definitely be a, a JT Roach song? Like, I'm going to sit down and write it. Right. It's it's a case by case thing, you know. Okay. Um, I think it can be really tough. You know, sometimes I'll, we'll pitch a record and at the last minute i'll be like oh man this feels like a record that i want for myself or i won't quite feel the direction that the production goes or um you know um or or sometimes i think a song is an artist song for me and then after sitting with it for a bit i'm like you know this would be a much better and bigger record if the production was on steroids and sounded like a big electronic record as opposed to an intimate acoustic record um you know, so it, it changes. I think sitting with demos for a little bit and letting it marinate and listening to them and discussing with your team and, and playing them for people who you trust is a good way to get a feel for what feels like you and what feels like a, a, a collab or a pitch record, um, you know. Um, but I, I always try to stay open-minded. And ultimately, I just want the music to get out there and for people to enjoy it. That's the point of all this. So I, I try not to overthink it too much. Um, but I, I will say I... I've discovered that I think what sets aside songs that I will, I want to release as main artist songs for me is songs that I can sit down and play on guitar and perform mm-hmm. acoustically and, and, and um, have it be captivating stripped like that, either on guitar or piano, because I do want to do shows where I'm just playing stripped, um, stripped sets and still be able to, you know, carry the emotion of the song. Mm-hmm. And you have you know, the newest song you have out is Crazy While We're Young. Yep. And, 
And we're like, is is that going to be on the new record or like, what are you looking at as far as like you said, you have a whole album worth of stuff. Are you already putting out songs that are going to be on this record or is that going to be a whole new project coming out? That's going to be a whole new project coming out. Crazy While We're Young. Uh, I love that record. Uh, I, I put that out with Crystal Skies. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote, wrote that with my friend Collier, who's got an amazing artist, artist project, C-O-L-Y-E-R. Go check him out. He's a rock star. Um, wrote that with him and my friend Rob Persaud, who um, is an amazing writer producer. Um, but um, yeah, the record, the the like album that I'm putting together now is uh, a, all brand new songs. And it's kind of all existing in the same space. It's it's a singer songwriter stripped acoustic kind of left of center um, uh, vibe, kind of like I've done historically on my own solo records. Mm-hmm. But I will say I've um, added more electronic elements to them. Basically, I got some synths and and have incorporated that into the production more. So it is like, you know, singer songwriter with some electronic elements as well. That's cool. That kind of sums up your your career in in a sense too, right? Yeah. I mean, singer songwriter, and then you got some EDM and electronic cuts, and there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Totally. Yeah. It's it's you know it, it's I've gone back and forth about you know whether I should just go full on with being uh, the feature guy who just does all electronic features because that, that um, uh, has been going well, but I, I just feel strongly that my stripped solo stuff is a story that I want to tell. And those records are important to me. So I'm, I'm still figuring out how to tell both those stories simultaneously, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully I can figure it out. And um, I think people are open-minded enough just given that, most people are just kind of saving single songs and creating their own playlists anyway. Um, sure. And I think that what they um, get captivated by is the songs themselves. So I'm just mm-hmm. trying to write the best records that I can. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that music is in a totally different place than it was, you know, 15 years ago. You couldn't like, you know, Beyonce and Green Day. I mean, you know, now it's like everybody likes whatever it is and you can see those those artists and like how they curate even, you know, a Coachella lineup versus how they did, you know, 15 years ago and just seeing like certain people as a headliner alongside, it'll be like tool and, you know, Megan, the stallion. It's like, you're just like totally opposite, but it all works and everyone's a fan of everything now. And you don't have to kind of be in one lane. So people could like an electronic record you do a singer songwriter record. I don't think it really even matters anymore. Yeah, I think I think I do think that's the case. So um, it will be cool to put out a project that feels like it's all part of one space and one kind of sonic um, territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm, I'm really excited to I'm really focused on that right now and really excited to do that because I have a lot of great collaborations in the electronic space coming up. And I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I can complement that with what I sound like when I'm solo as well. So people mm-hmm. kind of get a feel for what is different about my project that's that's important to me i like it what about live shows i mean stuff's opening up now yeah i feel no. like uh, are you gonna go out and perform anytime soon or what are you thinking yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure i'm sure i will i don't have anything on the books right now other than some some um exciting like i'm gonna be performing with some electronic acts later this year at some exciting venues i can't announce that yet but i'm uh-huh. su- super excited about that um and um yeah i'm you know i think as i finish this a collection uh this album that i'm working on um i'm gonna dig into like performing them live like practicing them on a guitar and piano figure out how i want to play them live i think 
doing acoustic shows and then doing some with a like a stripped minimal band I think would be my first steps to just navigating the songs and figuring out how I want to play them and connecting with them um and I would imagine I'll, I'll be doing that like later this summer probably I love it I can't wait that's so cool awesome um, I do have one more question for you. And thank you so much, JT, for, for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I super appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, I want to know, I know I kind of asked this question earlier, but <laughs> maybe I can get an answer from you again. If you have any advice for aspiring artists. Advice for aspiring artists. So not just songwriters. Just Anyone, all, yeah. All, all or, or songwriters, however you want to answer yeah. it. It's open-ended. It's up to you. I would say give your permission to write bad ideas and by that i mean early on just just create a lot because you'll figure out your style and you'll find your voice or your brand or or um what makes what sets you apart and what makes you different and what your thing is you gotta just you gotta just vomit ideas for a long time before you figure out who you are and what you sound like and what you look like and what what it feels like to consume your art. Um, and I think you got to give your permission, yourself permission to experiment and to, to write some bad ideas in pursuit of the special ones, you know, and those, the special ones will come up. So be patient with yourself, be playful, have fun and um, enjoy the process. That would be my advice.